Welcome to the Leadership Disrupted Podcast. This is Dan Rust. In today's episode, we're going to focus on what we expect to be the top challenges and the top opportunities for business leaders in 2023. And I think I should start with a bit of background about my thoughts and perspectives in this area. I spend a lot of my time every week having conversations with what I like to call working leaders. While I certainly have conversations with CEOs and other executive leaders of large global companies, I often find that those conversations are a bit too, well, first of all, careful. I appreciate that they have to be cautious with what they say and share, and they have to choose their words carefully. And so for that reason, they tend to talk in broad generalities when what I'm really looking for are the -the on-the-ground specifics, the situations and stories that I think tend to reveal the deeper truths. High-minded executive speak isn't really my thing, so it isn't a surprise that, once again, I was not invited to the Davos conference in Switzerland this January. This is the World Economic Forum event where government leaders rub shoulders with big business, big philanthropy, big media, and other cultural leaders to, as they say, shape global, regional, and industry agendas for the rest of us. Doesn't that sound great? Each year, business leaders and heads of state give lectures and they speak on panels about topics ranging from gender equality and venture capital to mental health and climate change. The real meetings happen behind closed doors and at private dinners, however. The rich and powerful use the event as a chance to network and hash out their differences out of the public eye. And like I said, this year, once again, my invitation never arrived. So during that same time in January, I had one-on-one conversations with people like the CEO of a $50 million manufacturing company in Ohio, the VP of marketing for a global food distributor, the director of sales for a farm implement dealership, the head of human resources for a large consulting business in the UK, and the CEO of a cryptocurrency startup based in Singapore, and lots of other folks who, again, I like to call working leaders. I have conversations with people like this every week, and it's the best part of my job. I remember having conversations with business leaders a year ago in early 2022, and their big top-of-the-mind concerns were supply chain disruptions, productivity of remote and hybrid workers, when and how and if to transition them back to the office, and of course, retaining top talent was a big issue. This year, most of the working business leaders I speak with think we're going to have a recession, but that's not primarily what they were talking or thinking about. They were not intensely focused on the recession that may happen in the next 12 months. What they were focused on were the big transformations that are going to play out over the next 10 years. How is the employee recruiting and retention landscape changing? How is AI and other technology going to completely transform their business? How are companies going to reconfigure their supply chains to deal with the geopolitical challenges and the need for resiliency that's come up in the wake of the pandemic? Many of them are saying that we recovered from the pandemic and the world has changed permanently in some fundamental ways. So now we have to rethink what we do or we may not be around 10 years from now. And a big part of the rethinking has to do with employee recruitment, engagement, retention, creating an inclusive work environment where every employee feels seen, known, where every employee feels connected to the mission of the organization and connected to the people they work with, and every employee feels valued for their contributions to the business. Part of achieving this is a continued focus on equality, equity, ESG, but that's not the whole story. 
We're at an unusual moment in the history of business where companies feel like they have not just permission, but a mandate to rethink the way they do things and to try and make business better for all of us. One of the buzziest topics in my conversations recently with business leaders has been generative AI and particularly the tool ChatGPT. Microsoft recently announced it's set up to make a multi-billion dollar investment in the artificial intelligence company OpenAI, which is the parent company of ChatGPT. ChatGPT is technology that is accessible and free to anyone on the web. Type in a request and it can write legal documents, software, even school essays. If you haven't already, I encourage you to set up a free account, log in, and give it a test drive. Some of the results will make you laugh, some will give you pause, some may even scare you a bit, because ChatGPT is just one of the latest AI technologies that are here to shake things up. We are on the cusp of this extraordinary period that has great, exciting possibilities for things we can do to solve problems and build great businesses. But we also have these massive uncertainties and threats, and ChatGPT and the promise of generative AI is a perfect example of that. Great possibilities, massive uncertainties and threats, and how do we balance these? This is technology with incredible potential to do a lot of good, to make people incredibly more productive, and at the same time, a lot of people are very concerned about the potential for supercharging misinformation, making it very easy for people to create vast amounts of untruthful stuff that they can put out on the internet. People are very worried about its potential in cybersecurity. It makes it very easy to, at the very least, create very convincing phishing emails. And a number of cybersecurity companies have found that they can also use it to write malware. But let me back up just a bit for anyone who might be new to this topic. What exactly is ChatGPT? Well, at its core, it's a chatbot. You type in questions and it generates answers. But it's really unlike any chatbot you may have experienced or interacted with before. It is an interface that OpenAI created. You can sign up for an account for free. You do have to provide them some information about yourself to sign up for an account, and then it allows you to interact with the chatbot, and you can literally ask it anything, and it will respond. And people have been using this not just to sort of have a casual conversation, but to ask it to do specific tasks. People have asked it to write exercise plans, to write poems, screenplays, even novels. People have asked it to design business plans in response to specific business challenges. And also, as I mentioned before, people have asked it to create software, including malware in some cases. But you can ask it to do pretty much anything, and it will take a stab at doing it. It responds with natural language text. Now, some of what it says will not be true. ChatGPT does tend to invent things. That's part of its unique power. So it will sometimes invent information. If you ask it to write your own biography, for instance, there's a very good chance that it will get most things right and then say some things that are not actually true, but impressive nevertheless. So it is definitely not perfect. There are issues, but it's a very powerful technology and it is much more fluid and fluent in lots of different topics than previous chatbots have been. So on the positive side, I read an interesting book by a couple of marketing executives who had spent months playing around with ChatGPT. And they said, it's kind of like, imagine you want to come up with a marketing plan for a new product from your company. Normally, what you might do is you go to a couple of two-year associates and you say, hey, give us 10 ideas for how we could market this product. 
with some operational details and budgets. And they might spend a few weeks and come back and they give you a list of 10 options and then you really dig in and figure out which of them are not viable and which of them have real potential and you do your due diligence, etc. What we are saying is ChatGPT can basically do the job of those two-year associates, but do it in three seconds. So you get that early work done more quickly, but then you still have to engage to determine, is it a good idea or a bad idea? What are they missing, etc. So it's a very good kind of first draft for a lot of business projects, exercises, and tasks. You can see it now, even when it isn't perfect, as a tool that can make business much faster and much more efficient than it is today. People are using it in this way right now. And then there's a whole group of companies that are building on the underlying technology, which are these things called large language models. And there are a whole bunch of startups that have created businesses that kind of hook into the ChatGPT API that OpenAI offers. And so then you can have it do, in this case, specific tasks. So if you want to write marketing blogs, you can go to a company called Jasper and you can use their software, which has actually been fine-tuned for that specific purpose, and have it write blogs for you, have it write marketing material. There's a company called Tome that produces all kinds of different presentations and specialized narratives. So say I want a narrative slide deck that outlines a movie idea. It'll do it in two seconds and even illustrate it with AI-generated art. And the intent is don't consider it done and final, Consider it to be your first draft and then use that. Use human wisdom and human creativity to perfect it. And I think for a lot of business people, if they were assigning this to a junior employee, they would probably have to edit it anyway. It wasn't going to be perfect copy or exactly what they would want. So now the first draft is done in two seconds, whereas they might have had the employee spend at least an hour on it, maybe half a day, maybe all day, depending upon what it was. So of course there are potential downsides to all of this. With anything this powerful, you know there are going to be a few people, maybe more than just a few, who will leverage this power for unsavory purposes. And so one might think, if you're not sure the product is totally safe, why deploy it? The executives of OpenAI argue that the only way to actually find out where the product might be unsafe is to put it out in the world and let people play with it. And then if they see something that looks pretty menacing or a bad use case, then they can try to put guardrails around that. And to be fair to OpenAI, they did try to put some basic guardrails around ChatGPT. So if you ask it directly, for example, to create malware for you, it won't do it. But if you're careful about what you ask and just say, for example, I want to create a PowerShell function that will do the following thing, then it'll go ahead and do it. Some people have found some easy ways around some of the guardrails they have around hate speech. So if you ask ChatGPT to write a play that is anti-Semitic in nature, it won't do it. But if you say to it, let's pretend we're writing a play that actually educates people about why anti-Semitism is bad. What would I have the evil characters in the play say? And then ChatGPT will generate lots and lots of anti-Semitic content. So it turned out there were easy ways around some of these guardrails that OpenAI had put in place. And the company, to its credit, now seeing people do this, is trying to come up with ways to reinforce those guardrails. But I think the other question that's raised here that's potentially a downside is, even if it works perfectly well and safely, does it put people out of work? It can make business much more efficient, but will that be at the cost of a lot of people's jobs? Going forward, these systems will just get more and more capable. 
OpenAI is working on ways to try to make the ChatGPT output more factually accurate, even to cite the source of information that it has leveraged. Some people close to OpenAI say that these issues will be solved within a year, while a lot of other people say that it's very much more fundamental than that and it's going to take some years and more breakthroughs before these accuracy issues are solved. But I think in the meantime, we will be seeing bots that are more and more capable, fine-tuned for individual professions. LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman, who's an early investor in OpenAI and sits on their board, is a fan of the idea of every professional within two to five years having an artificial intelligence co-pilot, so to speak, that handles more basic mundane tasks, that does the grunt work, and helps to improve our human productivity. But ultimately, there's still going to be a human in the loop, and the human expert is still going to have to pass judgment on the AI-generated ideas and refine them. So it's not necessarily intended to eliminate humans altogether. We're not going to be fully automating professions, but everyone may have this assistant that makes them much more capable. As business leaders, when we think about generative AI and now how quickly we are all thinking about how to apply it, where my mind goes is how many other lateral technologies exist that we haven't fully optimized or fully leveraged or taken to scale that can solve either critical business issues or critical societal issues, environmental issues, or other issues within our companies or within our culture at large. AI may, in fact, not only help unlock greater human potential, but may also help us unlock greater potential in all of the other technologies that we've been leveraging. Now, there is a flip side to this coin. In the past 30 years, technology has continuously driven an accelerated pace of change, and while a lot of that has meant progress, opportunity, tangible benefits for many people, I think we should not ignore the downside of this acceleration. Information overload misinformation that is indistinguishable from truthful information, fake news and cheating, swindling, scamming at massive scale, an increasing digital divide where some gain the full benefits of these amazing technologies while others are left in the dust, an expansion of income inequality widening the gaps between the haves and the have-nots, and that gap being served up to us every day on social media with a few real and a lot of fake people some generated by AI, showing off their yachts and Bugattis, their Patek Philippe watches, their mansions, their trim and toned and tanned bodies with photos altered and enhanced by AI, the pandemic drove us all to isolate and depend more than ever on the screens in front of us to keep us connected to the world. But those screens are not just tools for good. They can be tools for harm as well. And artificial intelligence will increase the power in both directions. The boundaries between work and home life breaking down, increasing the never-ending pace of work, just trying to keep up. The sleep deprivation. The easy access to performance-enhancing drugs. Again, some real, many fake. Some helpful, many harmful. I could go on and on. And for business, we have to continuously step up our competitive game just to stay in the game. And we can't ignore that all of this is impacting both our employees and our customers. So I do think one of the big challenges for this year and the years to come for all of us in the face of all of these technology-driven accelerations, how do we keep our organizations as human as possible? How do we help our people be as mentally fit as possible? We have to be realistic that people around the world have gone through a pandemic. They've gone through a huge economic and societal disruption. 
Certainly in Europe, they've seen hyperinflation, the likes of which many have not seen in generations. Our cultures are eroding because we have virtual work, hybrid work, and other whole new ways of working. I think the question for us as leaders is in the context of all of that. Maybe now people are thinking they will be replaced by a chat GPT algorithm. How do they understand and make sense of all of this? How do we make sense of it for them? And how do we build cultures that can actually last and be successful? And what about the underrepresented workers who have been increasingly vulnerable to being replaced by all sorts of technology? These are the individuals who have been near the bottom of the economic ladder for years now and lower in the corporate hierarchy, who aren't likely to be anyone's co-pilot and are more likely to be replaced by this technology. What is their path forward? Of course, the hope is that this will create tools that will enable them to function better in the economy of the future, that generative AI actually becomes an aid that makes them more productive and doesn't necessarily require them to have a high degree of technical education to do so. That's perhaps the hope. But of course, hope is not a strategy and not an assurance. As business leaders, I can understand why and how we all get excited about new technologies, and certainly we have to optimize how we leverage them, but I think it's also possible that the real and sustainable competitive advantage for many businesses will come from people tapping into their insights about humans, human beings, and their values. The opportunity is to embrace the challenge that every company needs to make itself relevant to the next generation of consumers, customers, and clients. But how do you grab that opportunity? It's about human insights. I mean, for all the technology that's out there, the underlying core human values are pretty universal and pretty unchanging. We keep thinking the world is profoundly different, and we have some profound challenges that I'm sure we'll focus on addressing. The opportunity is to make our business relevant for the next generation while solving the societal challenges that the sheer scale of our population and our economic activity is throwing off. Can we hope for a future where we have both more and better technology and more humanity all at the same time? Can we realize the potential of pairing great people with innovative technologies? It doesn't have to be about replacing one with the other. It can mean allowing people to free up more of their time to do what humans do best. The technology can be an enabler for great people to use their creativity, their complex judgment and decision-making skills, but at the same time, I think we have to recognize that getting this right definitely requires a new kind of corporate leadership. In short, this means out with the autocratic, all-knowing CEO sitting in the corner office and in with those who bring vulnerability, humility, human insight. And this is easy to say, of course, and hard to do, but those are leadership attributes critical to unlocking the creative talents of the workforce in such a dynamic economy. When you're trying to get a group of creative people to solve a problem, it is very different than simply giving orders and telling them what to do. It requires a brand of leadership that places a premium on instilling values, instilling principles, and empowering people to be able to make those judgments on or near the front line instead of waiting for some checklist or waiting for some prescriptive order from corporate that spells out exactly how each of those decisions need to be made. So continuing the look forward into what we should expect as business leaders in 2023 and beyond, at this point in time, we're almost three years out from the uprisings of 2020 in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd. 
And we know that in that year, a lot of businesses made really big promises to their employees and customers and other stakeholders around equity and social justice. There was a huge wave of training and corporate culture change initiatives, unconscious bias in the workplace, micro-exclusions and microaggressions, social justice, equity, inclusion, and belonging. These were all terms that became part of our corporate conversations. And I think 2023 is the year we're going to see if those major initiatives will be sustained, if those big promises are going to be kept. Business leaders will be responding to political and cultural change this year, and in some cases, resistance. I've had many conversations with senior business leaders about the pressure to respond to societal issues and to respond to those who feel they've been wrongly shamed or blamed, or those who feel that the rising DEI tide is lifting some boats, which means that it's also lowering others. In addition, some CEOs are feeling the pressure to respond to legislation that some people might see as problematic, and the inevitable criticism of the woke CEO that comes along with all of that. So is this pressure, criticism, and pushback top of mind for CEOs and other senior leaders? Are businesses still going to be committed to the big, lofty goals that they've set over the past three years? Will we see CEOs back off in the face of political pressure that's increasing among some political factions, particularly in the American South? But I should say, the political pushback is a global phenomenon. From Norway to the UK to India to Singapore, there's been political pushback against what some call the woke agenda. What I'm hearing from many senior leaders is that they remain committed to their DEI and ESG goals, but they're going to avoid language that tends to trigger a pushback. So business may remain committed to their ESG goals, but simply find new ways to communicate them. Same with DEI. And what most of them tell me is that they don't want their businesses to get pulled into the political debate, while at the same time, they do want to operate in a manner that is good for our society, our environment, our culture, our people. Now, some people may view that as cowardly. Some may wish that big businesses would take on the political fight, and a few will. But most will avoid a fight if they can, but their only change will be a semantic one. Their business strategy will remain constant and clear and centered around the business and the things that consumers care about and fixes for societal problems. From this point of view, if people want to attach labels to it, that's their issue. These leaders are saying that business will be great if they fix these problems and it'll be good for the shareholders and it'll be good for society. These leaders will steer away from polarizing terms and get right to the purpose in the heart of the work. They will stay true to the purpose of their company while pursuing benefits for both shareholders and society at large. At least that's my read from the conversations that I've been having. I think for all of us as business leaders, we have to be exceptionally clear on the purpose and mission of our individual enterprises, clear that when we deliver on that purpose and mission, we actually do the best thing for ESG and DEI, and the specific words or acronyms don't really matter if we actually deliver on our missions in a sustainable way. Now, of course, some employees will be immediately suspicious if they sense a change in the language, a shift in the narrative. And look, we live in an age of skepticism, and people are very skeptical when they hear companies or CEOs say anything. And people are looking for any inconsistencies. So changing the narrative of DEI and ESG while remaining true to the vision and commitments won't be an easy navigation. But the other thing to remember is that while CEOs may not be fully trusted, they are, according to surveys, more trusted than government officials, more trusted than NGOs, than journalists, and the media to be sure. 
And so, you know, I do think they have an opportunity to win back the narrative. And you have to remember that business leaders are being asked to weigh in on the societal problems in part because government has failed in so many cases. So it's a void that many of them feel a need to fill. The underlying challenge is that talent in government has declined. And in general, talented people don't go into government. And so you have a void because you look up and you don't see government leaders who have the talent and capability that maybe we did a generation ago. And people are looking for leaders to step into the void, which is why I think business leaders are asked to comment on social topics. And again, this is a global issue, not just an American one. Let me give you just one example of a company that is focused on making a huge societal impact, is totally committed to ESG and DEI principles, but is navigating these with language and communication that avoids triggering a big pushback response. The name of the company is Grab, and through their Grab app, they serve millions of users across Southeast Asia. Grab is an amazing story. They operate in eight Southeast Asian countries. They're a leading ride-sharing service and the leading food provider. Plus, they're turning into a kind of on-the-road bank with financial services for people. So they're one of these super apps that is responding to many of the needs of society. Here's how they think about their social mission. The legacy of the pandemic left income inequality in a really bad place especially in developing countries. And when there's income inequality, there's also a digital divide. What takes place, especially in election seasons in the region, they're seeing propaganda, they're seeing hate speech, they're seeing all of this polarization taking place. And when polarization takes place, they see extremism on the rise. And it's not just a Southeast Asian thing. We're seeing this in many places, unfortunately, and that causes real social fragility. So what can Grab do about this as a business? That was their call to action. At Grab, they think about which groups are vulnerable, which groups are susceptible to extremism, and know that this tends to be those in the bottom 40% or bottom 60% of the economic spectrum. They asked themselves, how do we target them? So for Grab, they basically said, anyone who has a motorbike, we will empower you. We will give you an opportunity to do business immediately. If you have a smartphone, Within 30 minutes, they empower you to do business from the side of the street in Manila, Jakarta, wherever it is you start earning money. Their CEO, Anthony Tan, was quoted as saying, the best way to fight extremism is creating rice bowls, meaning creating economic livelihood to create economic inclusion. That is the best way to fight real, harsh extremism. And for Anthony Tan, it isn't just a moral responsibility. It is existential. He deeply feels the reality that his business will fail if society fails. So one of my predictions, if we want to use that word for 2023, is that business leaders in many cases will be more deeply connected to their DEI and ESG goals, even if their language or narrative changes. The Walt Disney Company is one big example of that. When Governor Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature passed what became known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, and yes, I do understand that the bill didn't exactly state that, but Disney took a very public stance against the bill and ended up picking a big fight with Governor DeSantis. And it arguably is going to cost them hundreds of millions of dollars. But if you're really paying attention to the narrative coming out of Disney in the past few months, they have toned down their rhetoric while still fully maintaining their commitment to LGBTQ employees and customers. But they've stepped away from the political fight, even when it's clear that DeSantis is attempting to bait them back into the fight. Because it's a fight that serves his political purposes, but it doesn't serve Disney's business interests. 
So what Disney has done represents one of my predictions for this year. I'm not saying it's right or wrong of them to do so, just observing that this is one of the trends I'm seeing. Also in 2023, I really think the economic recession will compel some companies to wobble seriously on their inclusion commitments, including canceling initiatives and laying off talent in cases of entertainment industry giants like HBO and Netflix, and even eliminating teams responsible for diversity projects. And we've already seen that starting to happen. Expect a number of shareholder challenges to follow on this. But on the flip side, I think we will see an uptick in diversity in the professional services supply chain, which I think is going to be really important for wealth building. Plus, I see an uptick in agrotech investments across Africa, which is going to be really important in the aftermath of food insecurity triggered by the war in Ukraine. And I do expect political posturing around ESG to continue, but I expect that the big players will not blink. So let me wrap this up by asking, what kind of leader will you be in 2023? Given all the dynamics we've talked about here in the past 30 minutes or so, staying current with the latest leadership trends and best practices is essential for founders, CEOs, and leaders at all levels looking to inspire, to support, and to enable their teams and organizations towards success. In today's fast-paced and constantly changing world, it's more important than ever for leaders to be adaptable, authentic, and purpose-driven in order to effectively lead and motivate their teams. And I see six important leadership trends for 2023 focused on the how of leadership more so than the what. Let's start with emotional leadership. Emotional intelligence is, of course, a crucial leadership skill that allows individuals to effectively recognize and manage their own emotions as well as the emotions of those around them. And that second part really is key here recognizing the emotional landscape within which your employees are working. If you aren't tapped into what they are feeling, whether it's optimism or paranoia or joy or fear or confidence or uncertainty or any combination of these and other emotions, by cultivating your emotional intelligence and your emotional awareness of others around you, you can strengthen your leadership communication skills, build deeper relationships, and cultivate a positive and productive work environment. But accurately reading the emotions of others, accurately tapping in to the emotional landscape of your employees does require you to set aside your own ego, to set aside your own point of view, to set aside your own potential unconscious biases, and set aside any sense that you might take it personally if your employees are doubtful, if your employees are cynical, if your employees are expressing anything other than hyper-positive emotions that CEOs obviously love to see. The second trend is authentic leadership. Authenticity is so much more than just not lying to people. Leadership authenticity compels you to be genuine and true to yourself and others. By being authentic, you can establish trust and credibility with your team, create a more positive and inclusive work environment. In addition, authentic leaders are more likely to inspire loyalty and commitment from their team members, leading to increased motivation and productivity. Of course, authenticity and emotional intelligence are related, but not exactly the same thing. In today's world, employees sniff out a fake leader pretty quickly. They may not tell you that they think you're less than authentic. They'll just sit with that point of view and it will color every interaction you have with them. So be humble, be real, be true to yourself and to others. The third trend, the rising importance of inclusive and collaborative leadership. 
as I've already been saying, a deep understanding of and appreciation for the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion are essential qualities for any modern organizational leader looking to thrive, especially in today's globalized world. Being an inclusive leader is more than just diversifying your team. It's creating a sense of belonging for each and every team member. By fostering an inclusive culture, leaders can tap into the unique perspectives and ideas of their team members, leading to increased creativity and innovation and collaboration. Collaborative leadership, or the act of working together with others to achieve a common goal, can lead to improved outcomes and increased innovation. By encouraging collaboration and inclusion among team members, leaders can tap into the unique perspectives and ideas of their entire team, leading to more creative solutions and a stronger sense of shared ownership and responsibility. Inclusive and collaborative leadership can also foster a sense of community and belonging within the organization, leading to increased motivation and engagement among team members. Trend number four, flexible and agile leadership. The COVID-19 pandemic has fundamentally changed the way we work, with many organizations now embracing remote work and flexible scheduling with a goal to improve work-life balance for their team members, potentially attracting top talent from a wider geographic area. The flexible leader recognizes that their team members have full and meaningful lives outside of work, and that by providing autonomy and flexibility, they can demonstrate their trust and respect in each team member. Agile leadership is closely related to flexible leadership, but not exactly the same thing. Agile leaders possess the ability to adapt and respond quickly to change, viewing challenges as opportunities to learn and grow rather than obstacles to overcome. The agile leader can effectively navigate change and help their team members do the same. Agile leadership is critical in dynamic workplaces and can lead to more productive, creative, innovative, and adaptable teams. Leadership trend number five, healthy and mindful leadership. Self-care is an essential leadership skill that is more important than ever with today's nonstop hustle culture and business pressures. With the increase in remote work and the added stress of the COVID-19 pandemic, it is crucial for leaders to prioritize their own well-being in order to effectively show up for their teams and organizations. Mindfulness and a healthy lifestyle can improve cognitive function enhance problem-solving skills, and increase creativity. While it's true that increasing self-awareness is a key aspect of mindfulness practice, the intent is more than awareness of one's individual self. The intention is to cultivate a wider and more inclusive perspective, aspiring to loosen concern about oneself and expand beyond our narrow personal point of view. By incorporating mindfulness and health practices into their leadership style, Leaders can improve their own well-being and create a more positive and productive work environment for their team. The healthy and mindful leader has the ability to stay present and focused, allowing them to drive towards success and stay ahead of the competition. And finally, trend number six, purpose-driven, culture-focused leadership. Leaders who manage with a clear sense of purpose and meaning can motivate their team to work towards a shared vision and mission while also promoting the values, culture, and goals of the organization. The purpose-driven leader understands their own intrinsic motivators as well as that of each team member and finds ways to connect the work to the things that matter most. Leaders who center purpose at the core of their approach create meaningful working environments. 
cultures that motivate and retain employees. Culture is fundamentally the way people behave when you're not watching them, the hidden patterns that exist in people's behaviors and their interactions, the beliefs that people in the organization hold about their roles. Culture develops as a result of leadership, the history of the organization, the market or sector in which the organization belongs, the people within the organization. However, culture is rarely curated with intention. Organizational culture is rarely consciously aligned around an organization's mission or purpose. But in 2023, it will become more important than ever to have an intentional culture continuously aligned with your organization's values, beliefs, and behaviors in support of the business strategy. Organizations that are purposeful about this culture-strategy dynamic will routinely outperform their competition that lack focus in this area. So all of those six trends, that's a lot to try to internalize in terms of leadership. So where does one start? Well, although there are six distinct trends or approaches, each one links to the others, so improvement in any of these areas will have a positive impact on the others. So start anywhere, but do start. By embracing these six trends and incorporating them into your leadership style, you can improve communication and relationships, create a more positive and inclusive work environment, navigate change more effectively, and inspire your team members to work toward a shared vision and mission. And if you're struggling right now to remember all six of those trends, just check out the podcast show notes, and I'll include those details there. Okay, that is all for today. Whatever podcast app you're using to listen to this program, obviously I hope you'll like and share and subscribe to this podcast to be notified when new episodes get posted every Tuesday. In future shows, I'm going to invite working leaders who have practical, real-world advice to share. And of course, I invite your questions and comments, which will also guide the direction of future shows. And so with that, thank you for listening to Leadership Disrupted. Leadership Disrupted.